Half of two is one. Here, but now they're gone. I don't think that's even the line. The seasons don't fear the reaper. <laughs> Nor do the wind or the sun and the rain. Come on, baby. This is Rish Outfield, and this is the Rish Outcast. <laughs> I've been doing the damn English accent for long enough that I've started putting the emphasis on the last syllable. I said something too big the other day. I said, uh, yeah, we, we might be doing it again on the weekend. And I caught myself. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Uh, it is, if, if I ever put this episode out on time, it is October, the end of October. It is, it's almost time for Halloween. And I am of two minds when it comes to the fall. A part of me that just fears the, the, reaper? the reaper. No, the reaper. that fears the winter, that fears the cold and the grayness and the dark. It despairs. It's almost worse than the winter itself, the dread of the winter, the, the anticipation of what is coming. <laughs> but at the same time, once the leaves start to change and there starts to be a crispness and a coldness in the air, there's also Halloween. And I just, I, I love it so much. I went into Walmart the other day and they had the monster cereals, including the new one, the Oh, I've forgotten her name. It's, it's something like Julia Gulia, but I think that's uh, the wedding singer. I just, I love Halloween so much that it, it, it more than balances the sadness of summer is over and here comes winter around the corner. It just fills me with like a childlike glee. And I know I talk a lot about Halloween you know, every year I try and do a Halloween episode. And that's what this is, baby. Um, and so I probably said this before, but my uncle was raised in Pennsylvania as a Mennonite. And even though he broke away from that sect or group or whatever you want to call it, parts of his upbringing never went away. And one of those parts was that Halloween is a devil holiday. And we do not celebrate it in this house. And we do not answer the door for trick-or-treaters. You know, we don't dress up ourselves. We head out of town on that most unholy of nights, etc., etc. And my cousin, who is about my age, but he has a, a handful of kids, uh, has carried on that tradition. And partly because he didn't revere Halloween as a child. And it still doesn't speak to him. It doesn't, it doesn't hold any great memories or any sacredness to it. And I know that's a funny word to use, but just like Mennonite upbringing is impossible to completely wash away, my upbringing was also impossible to completely wash away. And there are certain things, you know, like the, the, the idea of a Jewish high holiday kind of thing. Halloween is a high holiday to me. It's the greatest day of the year. And not everybody feels that way, I know. But just as when I was a child, 
and summer would be winding down. It was time to start thinking about what would I wear as a Halloween costume. And oh, hopefully my mom will take me to the grocery store and they will have masks and they will have costumes and I can just look. And <laughs> it was a wondrous time of year, every year. But now that I'm old and I don't get to dress up anymore, any of that stuff, I mean, but, you know, I could. There's a Comic-Con coming up and I could choose to dress up. I, I played with my mustache the other day, which sounds like a euphemism. But no, what, what you're thinking of, I do every day. No, I, I tried curling my mustache up on the corners like Hercule Poirot. And I thought, oh, I could cut my facial hair so that I looked like Poirot and see if I could find like a suit or a hat or put some pomade in my hair or something like that. I think that could be fun, but I'm not going to do it. I've done it in the past and I never look as good as the people who are really, really, you know, serious cosplayers. And then I feel bad. I feel like, oh, you know, I only spent a little bit of money, but it was money wasted. I uh, digress. What I was saying is I don't look forward to Halloween for what will I dress up as like I used to. But what I do do, yep, I said doo-doo, is I try and write a scary story in the month of October every year. And sometimes I fail, but most of the time I don't. And then I think about what should I run on my podcast for Halloween. And three or four days ago, I got it in my head. Okay, I need to sit down and I need to record the story undecorated. And that's what I'll run on, you know, my Halloween episode. And if it's super long, then I'll split it into two. So I'll do two Halloween episodes. We all win. But then I remembered that I had made cover art for the story. And I thought, well, that's strange. Did I actually publish the story? And if so, then that means that there's an audio version because I never publish anything until I've read it out loud. And you know why. But, but if you're new to my podcast, I will in three sentences explain. You catch typos and errors when you read something out loud that you don't catch when you read it silently in your head. And if I'm going to read it out loud, I might as well make a recording of it in which I discover new mistakes and places that I can expand and bits that, you know, lines that don't quite work, that are mouthful, etc. Anyhow, I thought, well, I must have recorded it then if I published it. But I looked at the last uh, audio collection that I finished and the one that I put out and neither of them included undecorated. And if you know the punchline already, you know, bear with me. But I, I said, okay, you know what, I'm going to do a search just to be sure that I didn't already do it. And I did a search for undecorated, nothing came up. Nothing. Which should have been a clue, but it didn't. It, it, it wasn't. And we'll, we'll talk more about that after the story. But I told myself, okay, I'm going to have to sit down and record that. And meanwhile, I'm in the middle of recording a novel for Abby. Hilton, for the stay. Thank you. So it's going to take some time. 
I might as well start on it in September so that I can for sure make it in time for Halloween. You know, I don't keep a, a schedule I ought to. I ought to write down, you know, this day I'm going to do this, this day I'm going to work on this, this day I have to have this done. But I don't. And uh, just today, I was editing Abby's novella called The Truth. And I saved it into its own folder called Truth, where you had to make a new folder. And there, right under Truth, was not undecorated, but a folder called Under Decorated. And I double-clicked on it, and the entire audiobook was in there, not only recorded, but completely edited. Now, lots of times, Big Anklevich will make fun of me because I will tell him, you know, I wrote a story, and I had no memory that I, I wrote it. As I was reading it, some of it seemed familiar to me, but I didn't know when I wrote it or where I was, etc., etc. He makes fun of me for that. And it is weird. I do deserve to be made fun of for that. And I think I've told you before that I go to a different place in, in the hard drive between my ears. It's, it's a creative place where I tap a different part of my brain. And I guess memory is not connected to that part of the brain in my head. Your mileage is probably much more efficient. You've got a Japanese car between your ears is what I mean. Uh, so this should be that situation, but it isn't. It's just that it was the title. I thought that the story was called Undecorated, and it's called Under Decorated. Uh, and it's fairly long. So I'm going to go ahead and run it. <laughs> I'm going to run part of it. I'm not going to lie to you. This is part one of two. Because I looked, I, I opened all of the underdecorated files just to see how long it was. And, and yeah, it's two episodes worth. If I wanted to, it would be three episodes worth. But I'm only going to do two. So, happy October. I will meet you on the other side. Underdecorated. Written and narrated by Rich Outfield. Katiana Smith and her mother came into the town of Lippler, Ohio, with pretty low expectations. For years, Mom worked at a big furniture retailer, you know the one, and had gotten a promotion to be the number two person at the warehouse in Dayton, if she was willing to move. She had just gotten divorced, and her ex-husband was already seeing someone else, and she simply had to get out of town, go somewhere new, maybe try to be someone new. So she did. Katiana understood well enough, even if her little brother Tevin had a harder time with it. He still harbored the childish fantasy of going off to live with his father in Jefferson City, which was never going to work. There was a reason the marriage had failed. This was going to be a new beginning for Mom and her children, sixteen and twelve. Katiana, pronounced like Katie and Anna for some reason, was clever and pretty, and took everything in stride, and was well on her way to being the kind of woman her mother could be proud of. Tevin was quiet and introverted, 
a frankly dorky little kid, who enjoyed nothing more than doing crossword puzzles and reading. Honestly, what boy liked to read? Both Smith kids did well in school and got along, and did what they could to help their mother with every aspect of the move, both physically and emotionally. Katiana did worry about making friends in the new town, but she had already distanced herself from a couple of her old friends, and for the rest, there was always the phone. Mom had discovered that property values were pretty good over in Lippler, less than a half hour from Dayton, and had looked at three houses. The smallest one was the one she liked the best, just three bedrooms, two baths, and an unfinished basement, but it was close to affordable, and it felt like a place she and her children could call home. The realtor told her about the neighborhood and the schools. There was a bus stop only three houses away, and told her that there were some rules attached that her family would be expected to abide by if they wanted to live there. The lady went down the list, counting on her fingers. No loud music, or television, or fireworks after midnight. No ferrets, minks, or those little sugar glider things. No political ads on the lawns or windows. Absolutely no Halloween decorations. Please mow your lawn every ten days or less. There are one or two neighbor kids that are willing to help. My sister uses one that does it for five dollars a lawn. Trash service on Tuesday mornings. And clean up after any dogs in the house's front yard. Frankly, Mom paid the rules little mind. She was looking over the place, feeling it out, and trying to do the math in her head about whether she could afford it. I did see one house that I really liked, Mom said to her children when she came back. Does it have a big yard? Tevin asked her. Not in the front, no, but there's lots of room in the back. Can we get a dog? he asked, even though he had rarely walked or played with Reggie, their German shepherd, gone close to a year now. Not for a while, no. We will have to go easy on the spending, no matter what. So we are moving, then? Katie asked, torn between a reluctance to say goodbye to everything she already knew, and a sense of adventure and excitement in a new locale. I think so, Mom said. She raised her eyebrows and smiled. Turns out I would be able to buy the house but only if we are very careful. "'What does that mean?' asked her oldest. Sure, there were strings attached. Which there were, but she didn't know that yet. "'It means,' her mother said, trying to hide a smile, "'that you're going to have to start charging rich men to talk to them on the Internet.' The girl's eyes went big for a moment, a brief one, but it counted as a moment nonetheless before she shook her head and rolled her eyes. No way, Mom. I always give them what they want, for free. Mom laughed, and that only encouraged her daughter to elaborate. How well do you recommend I focus on? I like them bald and barely able to feed themselves. Okay, okay, Mom said, and rolled her eyes right back. I'm sorry I ever made that joke. I, I don't get it, Tevin said. Mom was still looking at her daughter. What it means is that we'll have to be careful with money for a while, and hope the car makes it all right. 
and you should probably look for an after-school job or something on the weekends. At least until my cam girl career takes off, Katiana said, then had to explain to her mother that a cam girl was someone who did exactly as she'd been joking about, usually wearing sexy outfits or no clothes on at all. Nice to learn the name for it, Mom said. If you hear of any cam girl jobs open for single moms in their late thirties, be sure and let me know. Oh, you'd be surprised what kind of stuff men want to— Katie began, and her mother told her to go to her room and get started packing. It was a small town, a heck of a lot smaller than where they'd come from, but it was pretty— and though their new house was a step down from what they'd had before, their family was smaller than it had been in St. Louis. Dad had taken Reggie the German Shepherd with him to Jefferson City. So a room for Mom, a room for Katiana, a room for Devon, and a basement for their boxes was plenty. Dad had moved to his new apartment in the country two months before, leaving Mom and Katie to clean and sell the house. But now that it was finished... Their new start was exciting and fraught with possibilities. Tevin had his books and his plans for Halloween to keep him distracted, and there was plenty of unpacking and house decorating to keep him busy. While Katiana could take it or leave it, oh, but did Tevin love Halloween. As soon as school got underway again in the fall, the boy started getting excited about October 31st. He'd always been that way loving the spooky music on commercials, the prospect of dressing up in a costume, and the way the stores redecorated for the season. It was just his personality. He always wanted to watch scary things, read Goosebumps and Fear Street, learn the names of dinosaurs and mythical monsters, and played Five Nights at Freddy's for the jump scares. His awakening would be ruder than most. They'd been in their new town for less than a week, and Tevin was sitting at the kitchen table, pouting after their first day of school, which Katiana felt had gone really well, for her anyway. Mom was still at work, and Katie knew she could just leave her to deal with whatever was bothering the boy, and things would be fine. But remembering their father's general lack of concern for her little brother, despite Tevin's adoration of the man, she decided to put down her phone and ask him what gives. What does what gives mean? He asked, making Katie, momentarily, wonder if she'd used the old expression wrong. I mean, what's your problem? Why are you sitting there frowning with your arms folded like that? Are you in a timeout? I wish we never moved here, Tevin said, and Katiana squinted at him, trying to figure out if something had happened to him today, or if he was just generally upset about the divorce. You miss our old house? I miss everything, he moped. Huh. Maybe we are actually related, she said, and gave him a half-smile. Really, all the emotional support she was willing to spare right now. But he did look miserable, and so small, that she felt obliged to add, I went through a phase when I was mad at the world, too though I was a little older than you are now. Yeah, right, the boy mumbled, not at all comforted. I hate this town. Katie nodded, 
aware she was supposed to ask him to elaborate, but not really eager to play that game. Tevin had always been overly dramatic, absolutely loathing a song when it came on the radio, totally loving a new TV show he had discovered, utterly howling with pain if he bumped his head or got a paper cut. She didn't know if prepubescent boys could qualify as drama queens, but perhaps her brother was the first. "'Don't you want to know why?' he asked, sounding even more needy than usual. Maybe he'd been bullied. He'd had a solid group of friends in his last school, but now that he was on his own, a backward, nerdy stranger, the bullies were sure to circle like sharks around a wounded seal. Sure, Tev. Why do you hate this town? Because they don't celebrate Halloween here. Oh, no. The end of the world had come at last. A lot of people don't celebrate Halloween, Tev. Some folks don't even do Christmas. They still do Christmas here, and, and Thanksgiving and stuff. Just not Halloween. It's against the law. He sounded pretty sure of himself had probably been convinced by one of his mean-spirited classmates. She nodded. Sorry to hear that. So your school doesn't do Halloween? Nobody does, he said, all distressed about it. Right. Well, I heard somewhere that Americans spend, like, $80 billion a year on Halloween, which is what whole countries make. So Lippler might be doing you a favor. He just looked at her, offended and hurt. I shouldn't have told you. I knew you wouldn't understand. It's not that I don't understand, dork. It's that I don't care. It was as snarky as anything from a network sitcom. And as soon as she'd said it, she regretted it. On TV, you could get away with that kind of statement because it was all made up and nothing had consequences. But Tevin's eyes filled with tears, and he ran from the room. Sorry, Kitty called. But he might not have heard her, because his bedroom door was slamming. Sorry, she said again, to the empty kitchen. Telling him she didn't care was obviously the wrong thing to say. But he'd find out Halloween was still happening here and there even if a few bad apples in town frowned upon it, probably for religious reasons, he'd get over it. It's never easy to start at a new school, and Katiana Smith was no exception. But she was clever and fairly book-smart, and tended to have a positive attitude, which was probably more important than the other two characteristics. Lippler High was small, only around 300 students, where her last high school had had over a thousand, and was tight-knit. But Katie was also kind of pretty, and that certainly helped. People, teachers and students both, tried to make her feel welcome, and her classmates, boys and girls both, were friendly to her, answering her questions and asking the usual ones about where she was from and how to say her name and whether she knew the names of the constellations. Okay, this was just one student, a girl in her math class with the bizarre name of Ashley Astley, and she had been trying to determine whether to invite Katiana to join the astronomy club. By the way, 
Katie didn't know anything about the constellations and would have been a sore thumb among a bunch of kids with telescopes. One guy asked her if she wanted to go out to the frozen yogurt place that just opened in town. She said sure. And one girl asked if she wanted to come watch the football game on Friday. She said she didn't. And in her first week at school, four different students asked her if she celebrated Halloween, including a cute boy named Tristan. Why do you ask? she wondered, since it was nearly two months away. Just being friendly, he said. And that was it. The subject was closed. Of course she celebrated Halloween. But not passionately, not obsessively, like Tevin did. She'd said as much. But it wasn't until the fourth time, a heavyset girl with striking, almost purple eyes, which she claimed weren't colored contacts, that Katie inquired why she was always being asked that. Well, we don't celebrate Halloween here, said the girl, Meg. At the high school? Bummer, Katie thought, since teens love to dress up in elaborate or sexy or elaborately sexy costumes. Once, in her sophomore year, she tried to make her own slutty Raggedy Ann costume and come close to succeeding. In Lippler, we don't do Halloween here. That's what Tevin had been going on and on about on Monday. At all? Why not? And the girl had made a strange little eeping sound, as though someone had just pinched her rather ample bottom. We just don't have it here. Gotta go, sorry. And she turned in her tracks and headed back up the hall toward the theater and band rooms. Katie mentioned it to her mother when she got home from work, both of them eating wheat bread toast while Tevin watched Spirit Seekers videos on YouTube. It was hard for her to admit that he had been right while she had been... well, the opposite. If that's funny, somebody at the store told me that just yesterday or the day before, Mom said. And I think the realtor said something about not allowing Halloween decorations in the neighborhood before we even moved in. She looked beyond the kitchen, where her son's phone could be heard on the couch. I wonder how he's going to take it. Not well, Katie said, and didn't let Mom know about his depressed feelings the other day, or the fact that he'd cried himself to sleep before she came home from work. Why wouldn't they celebrate Halloween? Is that like an Amish thing? The Cavenders were Jehovah's Witnesses, not Amish, Mom reminded her. But no, the woman at work told me that it's a, a city ordinance. They don't do Halloween in Lippler. Christmas, July 4th, Valentine's, Mother's Day, they celebrate all those, but not Halloween. Did she say why? She didn't. She made it sound like it was a tradition going back a hundred years, or whatever the opposite of a tradition is, I suppose. Katie contemplated that. And you think it's religious? Like, the founders of the town were all super-Christian? Like Quakers or something? Maybe. A lot of them were back then. My co-worker didn't say. Mom thought back, squinching up her eyes like she did when she wanted to say something, but thought better of it. Katie had not yet developed this skill. Acted a little weird about it, too like she didn't want to discuss the subject, even though she was the one who brought it up. Yes, exclaimed Katie. That's how the girl at school was. She pretended she had to be somewhere when I wanted to know what the problem with Halloween is. 
Something bad must have happened on Halloween years ago, suggested Mom, getting out the honey so Tevin would have a piece of toast, too. When I was in middle school, four teens at the high school across town died in a car crash coming back from their homecoming. And by the time I started going there, they were still really reluctant to have a homecoming dance. Katie finished her toast and contemplated having another piece. And did they? By my junior and senior year, yeah. Though I only went in twelfth grade. Katie had never heard any of her mother's dating stories. Who did you go with? Went with my cousin Vaughn, who didn't want me not to have a date. Katie opened her mouth to comment on how nice that was, but before she could, her mother said, Didn't stop him from trying to cop a feel on me during the Boys to Men song, though. Ew, Mom, Katiana said, hoping that was a joke. Oh, the whole dance was a bust, Mom remembered, wrinkling her nose. All the lights were on, and it was way too chaperoned and safety-conscious, with everybody worried we'd be drinking and crashing cars. We all got free pictures taken, but I never even picked them up. Mom went silent as she thought back, remembering the good and the bad from her teenage years. So what do you think happened with Halloween here? Katie asked. Somebody got run over while trick-or-treating? Every year there were stories about that sort of thing on the news. And worse. That's very possible. Though I don't know why they'd ban the whole holiday. Makes more sense to outlaw trick-or-treating, but leave the rest. And why no decorations? Katie wondered. Why not just no costumes? Mom shook her head. It defied understanding. Maybe it is a religious thing. Though I haven't had anybody invite me to church or talk about hellfire or anything. Katie's mother had been raised in a religious household. Her father had been, too, to a lesser extent. But neither she nor her parents had ever had a problem with Halloween. In fact, one of Katie's first memories involved her family dressing up as the Three Bears, with a nearly four-year-old Katie Anna dressed as Baby Bear. What do you think, Mom? About Halloween. Tevin's going to you-know-what a brick. Mom considered that. Well, I think we ought to sit at home that night, maybe watch a scary movie together. Not too scary, with Tev around. Just TV show scary. But for now, maybe we should go out and get some ice cream. Good idea, Katie said. Mom handed her a piece of toast, split down the middle, with honey on it and the crusts cut off. She knew what to do with it. She went into the living room, where her brother was still watching his YouTube ghost-chasing nonsense. "'Hey, can you pause that for a minute?' she asked. The twelve-year-old narrowed his eyes, but did what he was told. The two brothers, who went to haunted places and argued about spooky noises, froze in place, their night-vision eyes glowing greenly. Tevin accepted the toast for what it was—a peace-offering.' Guess I owe you an apology, Katie said, putting up her hands in surrender. Tevin sniffed the toast, rudely, and waited for her to continue before taking a bite. So, Katie began. It was hard talking to her brother like this, since Tevin was such a little snot. But sometimes you had to swallow your pride. You were right about Halloween. 
I didn't believe you that it was against the law, but that was the exact word somebody used today. Mom said so too. I told you, he muttered. To his credit, he didn't appear to be gloating. We never should have moved here. She ignored that statement. Did they tell you what would happen if you did celebrate Halloween? He started in on his toast. Yeah, I'd die, he said with his mouth full. Really? She didn't like to hear stuff like that. It was like when the neighbor girl, Judith Cavender, had told her that she'd ceased to exist when she died, unless she got in a bathtub and accepted Jesus into her heart. Like, what, a lightning bolt would get you? He wouldn't say. She nodded. Was he a fat kid, by any chance? Maybe really good-looking, but way overweight? Um, no, he said, swallowing the bread. Brown hair and glasses. Shorter than me. She widened her eyes. Nobody's shorter than you, Tev. He was not amused by her comment. Really? Like two whole inches shorter? Okay, okay. But you'd literally die if you celebrated Halloween. I think so. If I put up decorations, he said. She nodded slowly. She discovered her hands were squeezed into fists at her side. Well... You and me are going to find out, because I think I know where the box of decorations is. And this look of excitement and pure joy came over her brother's face. Really? Where? All the bad feelings between them were gone. Katie turned it over and over in her head for the rest of the next day. It was the way her female classmate had been so evasive about it, as though she were airing the town's dirty laundry, but didn't want word getting out that she'd been the one to tell. And while Tevin practically worshipped Halloween, Katie decided that she liked it more than she'd been aware, enough not to want it to go away, especially for no reason. She needed answers. And she happened to know where Meg's locker was. She raced over there after fourth period, nearly bumping into a kid that appeared to be carrying a bong, but was probably some kind of bottle for a science experiment, and saw the fat girl just as she was getting a book out of her locker, slipping it into her backpack. "'Hey there, Megan,' Katie said, stepping right up beside her, pretending they were much closer than they, in fact, were. "'How's it going?' The girl looked at her, seemingly confused. It's, uh, just Meg, actually. Katie looked beyond her into the locker. There were a couple of printed photos of famous people held onto the inside of her locker door by magnets. One of them was that photo of Einstein with his tongue out, and one appeared to be Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Below that, in a girl's handwriting, was the message, Live Your Best Life. No pictures of Jesus, or the Virgin, or Moses, or Joan of Arc, or even Bella from Twilight. Katie didn't get why she was a religious figure, but some girls. That was reassuring. A bit, anyhow. Not short for Megan? No. Something else. Nutmeg, maybe? Katie joked. Ew, nutmeg? No! She shook her head so hard one of her hair scrunchies went flying. 
Katie went after it, like a dedicated baseball player trying to prevent a home run, presenting it to her with a nod. Thank you, Meg muttered, unable to dismiss her now. It's Katie, right? Right. Meg had a two-round face, but she was actually very pretty, despite her extra weight. Katie wondered if any of the boys at LHS had discovered that yet, or if they were all shallow, skinny girl lovers. Come on, spill. What's it short for? Meg sighed, as though she was loath to tell anybody, but it seemed to be a day for spilling secrets. Margarita, actually. With an H. But I never go by that. Margarita, Katie said. I like it. And she did. The girl closed her locker. Thanks, she said softly. But please just call me Meg. Katiana nodded. So, Meg, what you said before about uh, Halloween? Meg glanced up and down the hall, as though someone might be watching her. Scrutinizing. Eavesdropping. Spying. There were at least a dozen kids nearby, but all were engaged in their own conversations, except for the two by the janitor's closet. They were making out. Look, I didn't mean to tell you what to do, she said, putting her hair back in the scrunchie. I wasn't preaching or anything. So, is it a Christian reason? The, the no Halloween thing? Meg paused seeming to make a decision as to whether to cut off the conversation or not. She didn't. It's not a religious thing, not really. There is just no Halloween in Lippler, and it's a good thing. Oh, sure, I agree, but... Katie made a you-know gesture with her hand. But what? But any time somebody makes a rule... There's always some teenager that breaks it. At the laundromat on our street last year, there was a sign that said not to put anything heavy in the dryers. So this kid from my school, Eric Choner, put weights and rocks and his dad's bowling ball in them just to see what would happen. Meg snorted, leaving no question as to what she thought of that little escapade. Hey, I wasn't impressed by it or anything, Katie protested. It was just an example. Meg tightened the scrunchie on her head, just in case. That was your town, not this one. Right, right. So everybody observes the rule of no Halloween. It was a statement, but a ludicrous one. Uh-huh, everybody. I've got to catch the bus. She started moving down the hall, pretty quickly for such a non-skinny person. I'll walk with you. Katie matched her stride. So there's no, like, popular kids that throw a party, a secret party nobody knows about, every year on the 31st of October? But not a Halloween party, of course, because that's a sin, but a, you know, a harvest party. Meg scowled. Yes, I suppose there are some, like your boyfriend with the bowling ball, that my head off to the... He wasn't my boyfriend, Katie interrupted, a little too fervently. I didn't even like him. This was true, 
but she had dreamt about Eric on more than one occasion. And one of those dreams was of the Oh my, I've always wanted to see your room variety. Fine, Meg admitted. There are some that might leave town, go up to Dayton, and do parties and costumes and stuff. Meg was trying to keep her voice low. But not here in Lippler. They're smarter than that. Katiana looked at the girl's purplish eyes, long and hard, trying to catch some of that religious mania she'd known in a couple of students back home. It wasn't there. But something else was. Something not unlike fear. Smarter how? It's always better to be safe than sorry. Katie cleared her throat. Sorry how? I've got to go now, Meg, short for Margarita, said. She stopped walking and looked Katie in the face, her expression sober and intense. I hope you listen and we can be friends. I like your earrings. And she promptly turned and walked the other way down the hall, even though the bus was in the opposite direction. There had definitely been more to the story than that. If Meg sincerely wanted to be friends, why didn't she just be truthful and forthright? Wasn't Honesty, the best policy. And she just couldn't let it go. There was something so set in stone about the Halloween ban that Katiana kept thinking about it as Halloween week arrived. Arbitrary, that was the word. So she went into the basement and looked through the dozens of moving boxes until she finally found the one she was looking for. The Smiths didn't own a great deal of decorations, just the single box, but she found an ancient jointed cardboard skeleton sitting on a bag of fake webbing under which was a big cartoony Thanksgiving turkey still in the cellophane. Not that she had much use for that in October. In addition to the skeleton, she had an inflatable black cat, a light-up plastic jack-o'-lantern, and a bunch of window stickers in the shape of candy corns, of all things. She spent a few minutes taping up the decorations around the doorway and porch, and remembered her brother having a collection of rubber spiders she could have hung down above the door, but Tevin seemed to have kept those with him. She spread out the fake webs on the two biggest windows outside the house, and stretched a tiny bit between the top of the mailbox to its base. As long as it had taken Katie to find the decorations, it took even longer to find an extension cord to plug in the inflatable. While she was leaning over to post the black cat into their little lawn, she heard a car slam on its brakes in the street behind her. Damn pervs, she muttered, hoping they'd gotten a good eyeful of her butt as she was working. Next time I'll wear a thong. Katiana went into the house, content she had done her duty for God and country, or the devil in the black cat's case, and sat down at the table to eat some trail mix and do her homework. Five minutes later, there was a knock at the door. Not a friendly, I've a package for you, miss, kind of knock, but the loud and angry, what are you doing in there with my daughter, kind of knock. She muted her music 
and went to the door. There was a lady standing there, short, wearing a violet housecoat even though it was a warm afternoon, cradling something within the coat. Hello, said the woman. Is your mother home? She's at work. Can I give her a message? The woman was looking at the skeleton hanging from the door. Staring, actually. She looked at the webs, the orange candy cutouts, the direct opposite of a smile on her face. What's your name? Me? Katie. The woman turned to gesture at not only the skeleton, but the harmless little window decorations, too. Did you do this? Katiana saw when she pointed that the object she'd been holding above her belly was actually her belly. She had to be eight or nine months pregnant. Do this. Put up the decorations, you mean? She paused before answering, waiting for the lady to turn and look her in the eyes. Yes? I didn't meet you before, the woman said, but I spoke with Mrs. Smith. There are no Halloween decorations in Lippler. Katie felt her cheeks starting to burn and willed away any shame that was creeping up inside. Sorry, th these are just fall decorations. Pumpkins for the harvest. Nothing says Happy Halloween on it. Fall decorations. What does a black cat have to do with fall? I don't know. The cat's name is Autumn? It was the best she could come up with on such short notice. Oh, right. And the rest? A skeleton man? She said it with such revulsion that Katie was tempted to check to see if there was a big old dong attached to this particular skeleton. Maybe it's for Dia de los Muertos, then, Katie suggested. The woman put her hand up, like she was going to give Katie five. She didn't. Please listen to me. There are no Halloween or Halloween-type decorations permitted in our town. It was part of the charter, and would definitely have been mentioned before Mrs. Smith bought the house. Katie didn't know if charter was the appropriate word, and felt something like contempt for this confrontational stranger. She had never been on a debate team or participated in a mock trial, but she felt confident she would do just fine in one. It's Ms. Ambrose now. What is? My mother. Not Mrs. Smith. Ms. Ambrose. The woman just forged on. Did she not tell you about this? Did no one explain to you that no Halloween deck... Katie put up her own hand. It's just for this week. They're not bothering anybody. And then the woman got flustered, her own cheeks and ears reddening, and Katie felt a sense of satisfaction. Now she understood why bullies liked to shove kids into lockers or flip bra straps. She had caused this lady's annoyance, her outrage. Sorry, Katie added, though she didn't mean it. They most certainly are bothering somebody. Who? God? She rolled her eyes. Pretty sure the skeleton's made in his image. Candy corns, too. 
This has nothing to do with... The woman fanned at herself with her hands, in a gesture that had to be purely theatrical. They need to be taken down. The teen had really gotten to her. Two points for her debate team right there. And now Katie was emboldened. Sunday. No, young lady, right this minute. Hey, it's my house, and I'm sorry that you think it's so terrible, but what's done is done. It's a fun holiday where I come from, and it doesn't mean what you seem to think it means. The woman, who had not introduced herself, had fished a phone out of her jacket and glared at her before dialing on it. Katiana Smith pushed down her frustration and tried to sound merely curious. Who is it you're calling? Because my mom doesn't usually answer until she goes on her break. The woman ignored her, speaking into the phone now, barely able to keep in control of herself. Hello, police? Yes, this is Sandra Abeg calling. Katiana wanted to laugh, but instead she was just affronted. You didn't really call the police just now. It was a nice bluff, but Katie wasn't sold. The pregnant woman glared at her, but continued her phone conversation. Yes, Goldie, I need to speak to Sheriff Spoon. She was interrupted, and whatever they said, it didn't calm her down any. No, Goldie, it is an emergency or I wouldn't be calling. I'm on Ash Street in front of the Bendix's house. The new owners have put up you-know-what decorations. There was a pause as she was asked something by a person on the other end. No, no mistake. I'm standing here now. There's a witch's cat and a pumpkin and cobweb jack-o'-lantern, technically. Katie snarked. She wasn't so sure the woman was pretending to have a conversation now, having heard a female voice say something on the phone. And a skeleton man. And candy corns, Katie said, loud enough for the person on the other end to hear. In for a penny, in for a pound, as the French say. Don't forget the worst part. Yes, I'm here with the very rude teenaged girl who is responsible for the decorations. She lowered her voice, as though that would make a difference over the phone. She refused to take them down. The person talking to the woman said something, and there was a pause during which Sandra Abeg actually smirked. She's connecting me to the sheriff, she boasted. Oh, come on. Katie wasn't sure who she was really talking to, but this had gone on way too long. You didn't really call the cops on me, lady. That would be crazy. The woman stopped listening. Hello, Sheriff. I don't know if Goldie told you, but I'm at... Whoever she was talking to interrupted her and must have asked her something. I'm standing in front of them. Let me tell you what they put up. A skeleton... She was interrupted yet again and said, Okay, yes, but... She made a sound and then held her phone out for Katie to take. He'd like to speak to you. Katie thought it was awfully dumb to insult and threaten someone and then hand them your phone, which was a fairly nice LG model complete with a case decorated with four-leaf clovers. 
While she was tempted to dropkick it into the street, Katie politely accepted the phone and said, Hello there. A man's voice, deadly serious, said, Hi, this is Sheriff Spoonhour. To whom am I speaking? Whom? This guy meant business. I'm Katie. Who is this, really? I'm the sheriff of Lippler and Constance Township. Mrs. Abegg says you've put up some Halloween decorations. Well, I put up some decorations, yes. Not sure if they're Halloween or just seasonal. Miss. Katie. Could you do me a favor? Take them down. The decorations. On my own house. Yes. Please. Maybe you've got the wrong idea. These don't say the F word on them or pussy power or go back to Mexico or anything. They're not offensive at all. They were in a bot. The sheriff interrupted her, too. Please. Did no one explain to you or your parents that there's no Halloween here in Lippler? Decorations are against the town charter. They're unlawful, Katie. She tightened her jaw. Felony or misdemeanor? Misdemeanor. Class C. He said it once. He must have been on the debate team, too. Think of it like a fix-a-ticket. Like if your mom's taillight was out on her car. Taillight. This was ridiculous, no matter how religious the town's forefathers had been, no matter what the pregnant lady's Bible said. I'm sorry to hear that. Yes, well, no harm done, as long as you take them down now. Put them away. It would be greatly appreciated. No harm done. Are you really the town sheriff? Katie asked, switching the phone to her other ear. County sheriff, actually. But yes. Well, I guess you'll have to arrest me, then. How long do I get in jail for taping up cardboard candy corns? Mrs. Abegg's eyes got bigger, and she made a shocked little sound. All this excitement was going to make her go into labor right there on the porch, and Katie was not going to get her any towels. The man grumbled. I'm going to ask you again, politely, to please remove the offending materials, or I will have to go over there and remove them myself, and I'll confiscate them, meaning you won't get them back. I know what confiscate means. Miss, you don't want trouble. I don't want trouble. Will you take them down? Nope. I might have some rubber spiders someplace to put up, too. I'm going to hand you back to your wife now. Nice talking with you. As Katie gave the phone back, she realized she was really enjoying this. Her anger had given way to some kind of twisted pleasure in long-suffering. It was something that her dad had said her mother had. A martyrdom complex. Mrs. Abegg took the phone, and the shocked, fish-out-of-water look on her face was well worth whatever consequences were coming. Katie realized this really had been the sheriff she'd been arguing with, and he must have been some kind of town hero because the pregnant lady was affronted to the core to have witnessed the disrespect the girl had shown him. 
and on her own LG phone. Just imagine. Thanks, Katie said, and she almost wanted the woman to try and pull down the skeleton, or give the pumpkin a kick, just so she could feel more of this righteous indignation. Heck, now she understood the appeal of going to services on Sunday mornings. I gotta go. Biscuits in the oven. She backed into her house and closed the door on the busybody's face. Well, not on her face. The woman was about four feet back now, still looking stunned and offended. But it's the thought that counts. Thanks for stopping by, she called and locked the door. If only her brother had been around to witness this. She'd have replaced Godzilla as the boy's hero, hands down. Katie shouldn't have been surprised when the police car pulled up in front of her house. Though she'd put on a brave face talking to the cop on the phone, there had been something genuinely authoritative in the guy's voice. But still, here he was, the town or county sheriff, getting out of his car and saying something into a shoulder-clipped walkie-talkie before he came up their walk. The upset neighbor lady still stood there, waiting. Despite pregnant women supposedly having sore, swollen ankles, Katie wondered what would happen if she told the policeman this person had been harassing her, yelling and spouting fundamentalist nonsense, and wanted her escorted off the property. Would he have to comply? But one look at the sheriff, a tall, fairly handsome older man with silvery white hair and the barest hint of hipster sideburns, and the way he took in the pumpkin, the black cat, and the skeleton and candy beyond her, told her he was as serious about this business as her nosy neighbor was. Afternoon, he said, and reached to tip his hat to Katie, except he wasn't wearing a hat. Sandra, he said to the neighbor. I wasn't exaggerating, Donovan, the woman said, as much disdain as humanly possible in her tone. Even the post box is decorated. You see? He nodded. Yes, thanks. Maybe you should go on home now. Get some rest. The woman's eyes widened. W what He cleared his throat. I'm going to talk to the young lady for a moment. You've done your part. But I called it in. She was seriously displeased by the injustice she was experiencing. I was the one who spotted the... And it sure is appreciated, the sheriff said. Take a walk, Sandra. The woman actually huffed and started waddling down the walk toward the street. Katie expected her to say, Well, I never, like some idiot cartoon character insulted by Bugs Bunny. Katiana felt like shouting something at her, and maybe shouting something similar to the sheriff, too, but she had been raised too well for that. Her rebellion only went so far. And really, the man had come all this way, over a few decorations. He glanced at the spiderwebs on the windows, then back at the street to make sure they were alone. He cleared his throat again. I'm Sheriff Spoonhour. Silly name or not, he looked like a sheriff. She checked his hips. Yep. He had a pistol in a holster there, mace or pepper spray on the belt, 
badge on the other side. Katie, did you say your name was? She nodded. New in town, I understand. Just moved in. Well, he said, and let out a deep breath. It reminded her of her father the first couple of times she'd been grounded, before he stopped caring about what she did. Then he looked past Katie, and his steely gaze softened. She turned to see what he was looking at. Tevin had apparently discovered what was going on, at exactly the worst possible time to do it. Hello there, the sheriff said. What's your name? Tevin Stewart Smith, the boy answered. Kevin, I'm here to— Tevin, Katie corrected, a bit bolder now that she had an audience. With a T. Hey there, Tevin, said the man, and cleared his throat again. Maybe he was coming down with something. What are you going to do? asked the boy, very much intimidated. Well, I'm afraid we can't have these Halloween things up. City ordinance. Do you know what that is? Like a, a law. That's right, like a law. Usually someone is put in charge of letting people know about the ordinances when a family moves into town. But maybe your parents didn't let you know. It wasn't out, and Katie was inclined to take it. But Tevin said, No, we knew. He looked across at the sheriff's badge on his belt and his firearm at his side. Are you going to arrest Katie? The sheriff glanced at her, and there was a hint of a smile on his face. No, I don't think that will be necessary. She was just about to take down the decorations, wasn't she? Katie had the chance there to toe the line or make things worse. She chose the latter. I haven't decided. Wrong answer. How about you, Tevin? You want to help me take these things down? The boy took inspiration from his sister. We had them forever. There's nothing wrong with them. Uh-huh, said the sheriff, and sighed. Poor, poor man had such a burden on his shoulders, like Jesus in the movie where he had to carry his own cross down the road. Katie, you make your decision. She said nothing, certainly didn't move to take them down. Okay, the sheriff said. He squared his shoulders. I'm going to have to confiscate this stuff, he said, tossing a glance at Tevin. You know what that means, right? Because it can't be displayed. This has always been the law here in Lippler, and it's for a reason. No, don't take it, please, Tevin said. We've had those since I was a baby. I am sorry, said the man. Only now did Katie think to call her mother. She fished out her cell phone and dialed her mom's number. It rang twice, then went to voicemail. A we'll-call-you-back message came up. Katie considered leaving a message, one the sheriff could hear, maybe one with profanity. 
But the problem was, she had been warned. Multiple times. As stupid as the rule was, she knew it was a rule, and Mom had seemed okay with it. She hung up, just as the sheriff pulled down the skeleton. He grabbed the fake webs, and they came down all at once. He unplugged the inflatable cat and scooped up the pumpkin. Then he looked at the windows. Not the candy corns, Tevin said in a small voice. I'm sorry, son, said the man, setting the skeleton down on the mat. Even sounded like he meant it, too. But then he proceeded to peel each and every sticker off the glass. Tevin started to cry. He turned around and ran back into the house, not even bothering to slam the door behind him. Katie had little she could do, even though she felt both like screaming at the old cop and crying herself. Instead, she just stood there, stone-faced, the only active rebellion she could manage. Sheriff Spoonhour observed her, staring daggers back at him, and cocked his head. He shuffled the pumpkin to his underarm and actually tore the skeleton cut out in half, just to be mean about it. Katie didn't wince or react. She didn't even blink. There are rules for a reason, he said, crinkling the stickers into a ball. Like speed limits or curfews or driver's licenses. One day maybe you'll understand and he scooped up the now-deflated cat balloon and went off to his cop car, not strutting exactly, but definitely swaggering. Oh, God, why hadn't she recorded this with her phone and uploaded it to YouTube? The whole country would be up in arms. The sheriff would lose his job, for sure. Except, would he? Would anybody care about a few party favors? A light-up jack-o'-lantern with no bulb in it? Would there be any consequences at all? And it didn't matter because she hadn't gotten out her phone and filmed it. The police car started up, started moving forward, and made a little half-siren noise, which could have been a warning he was pulling into the street, or could have been a kind of middle finger back at her and her brother. Her brother... Poor Tevin was in there, all broken-hearted, and what was she going to say to comfort him? It was bad enough he'd lost his father, who had always been a little more affectionate to Katie than him. But now, his favorite day of the year had been taken away. Oh, and his name was Tevin, too. Cruel fate had saddled him with that on top of everything. She turned and went up the porch, opening the door, and caught sight of her face in the glass of the inner door. There were tears in her eyes, too. Go figure. All right, there you go. That's where we're going to stop for today. And I think I will save all of my talk about the story, the theme of the story, or themes, or any of that, for the next episode. In fact, I, I don't think I'm going to say a lot now. I said it all before the story. Except for that I did struggle with that title. I wanted to call it something, a play on the word decoration, 
Decoration Day, which is not bad. Decoration Free. And I, yeah, I settled on undecorated. Like a soldier came back from war without any, without distinguishing himself or herself. Thank you. In combat. Undecorated. And at some point, I felt like, you know, underdecorated works better with what the story is about. A Spartan apartment is underdecorated. But, you know, I think the title works, but it's not perfect. And I honestly think undecorated is a little bit better, but also not perfect. Every once in a while, I have that problem. It's like I know that there is a perfect title out there. It's in the stone. I just have to chip away the titles that aren't part of the sculpture. Not sure if that is too much of a mixed metaphor, but hopefully you understand that. There, yeah, there are just wonderful, wonderful titles out there. I'm thinking more along the lines of, you know, movies. You'll get a bad title and I'll think, how did a movie called The Echelon Conspiracy get released? You know, <laughs> Money Heist. How did that, how did somebody agree to call something Money Heist? Anyhow, that's all I'm going to say about this, this part of the story, the episode I uh, am happy that, that I had already done all the work, that it's there in the folder, because it's <laughs> it, that's several hours that I don't have to dedicate to this episode, that I can, I can do other episodes on, and I'm way behind on my own releases, on my own stories, on my own, well, that audio collection I mentioned a year ago. I never put that out. I'm not going to blame him, but, you know. Anyhow, here it is. And I will very quickly put out the second part. And uh, one last thing. Since I've been working for Abby on this new book, she told me that if I could clean up the audio in the the fashion that she always has to do when I send her a story. Like there are three steps that she takes to make sure the levels are, are all cor correct, that it's at the volume that it needs to be. She said that she would pay me extra if I would do that myself. And I had fought doing it for 10 years. But when I talked to Big, he made fun of me. I, I, he makes fun of me a lot, it sounds like. You know, I guess we have this kind of relationship where he can say, well, why, why wouldn't you do that? She's actually going to pay you if you do it. Why wouldn't you do it? And his words rang true to me. And so I downloaded the program. I, I installed it and I followed her three steps. And it took like six minutes on the first one and three minutes on the second one and two minutes on the third one. And now I am going to do it from now on, if, as, as long as I stay in the habit and don't forget how to do it. And so this, what you just heard, undecorated, underdecorated, part one, is the first of my stories 
that I did that with, that I followed her recipe and made it more cleaner and more balanced, I, I suppose. I'm, I'm not sure. It's, it, in, the, in the long run, it's actually going to be faster for me because I would always look at the waveform of the stories or the, you know, the audiobooks, and where it was really loud, I would lower it a little bit, and where it was really quiet, I would raise it a little bit. And now I don't have to do that. It will all be done by machine uh, on new technology. And now we understand the problems you can see. Oh, oh, I uh, should have left you already. Too long, I know. I will see you soon. Baby, take my hand. Good night. The Rish Outcast has reached its end. For now, anyway. And on reflection, I suspect it was produced with some sort of Creative Commons license. Perhaps a non-commercial one. One with no derivatives, but with attribution also. Evidence points to the legendary Gino Moretto for the logo and Algar Van Kluth for the rather rude sound that follows. It is my recommendation that you share this file, if you see fit, but do not try to sell it or change it or make alterations to it. If that goes well, perhaps you could contribute a dollar an episode or more to the Patreon fund attached to it over at www patreon.com forward slash Rish Outfield to ensure that more episodes are produced. If that does not go well, however, I suggest you run. Now! Hilton for the stay. I'm actually 15 minutes earlier than I had planned to be. Okay, that's not true. <laughs> I had a deadline to leave. And then I looked at the clock and I realized, oh, shoot, I missed that deadline. Well, I'm going to set a secondary deadline. I have to be out by then. And I actually left 15 minutes before then. But it's not going to help me. Yesterday, I came so close to hitting a deer. Uh, it was a, a, a doe. And it was just crossing the road right as I was driving through. And I hit the brakes and I missed it by several feet. But yeah, this time of year is always the worst, partly because it gets dark earlier and they, the animals aren't prepared for it. And so they're out en masse. But also, yeah, it's, anyway, outtake. I answer the door for trick-or-treaters etc, etc. We don't dress up. 
wait, you said et cetera, et cetera, and now you're adding new things? Okay. Okay, so I'm passing that place where I almost hit the deer yesterday. And I'm going 40, but I'll tell you what, I'm gonna slow down to 30. There's no other cars on the road. Everyone else is wise enough to already be sleeping at this time. After all, I mean, it's like we, it's, we like, we live in a valley where vampires rule and the entire town has locked its doors, sharpened its stakes and are waiting for the sun to come back. That would be a fun story. Well, I mean, Stephen King's already written it and it would be better than mine, but it still seems like it would be fun to have a, a low tire or a, a flat tire. And so you pull into this town you're trying to find a service station that has an air pressure machine and everything is closed up, everything. And there are signs that say, you know, we reopen at dawn. It doesn't have an hour. It just says dawn, which and, and it's they're not just handwritten notes. These are signs that somebody has taken time to make and install. So it's just strange that this seems to be the norm here. We will reopen at dawn. Now, I, uh, there are three gas stations in this little town. Last year, I had a low tire and I was trying to find a gas station that had an air compressor to refill that tire. And there are only actually two gas stations here in this town and neither of them had one. Well, one had one, but it wasn't working and they've since replaced it, thank goodness. So I had to go to the next town, driving very, very slowly because I had a very low tire. And if you drive on a low tire, you can sometimes blow out that tire. Who wants that, right? I had to go to another, another town to fill up my tire. And it, it was the last trip of the year before I was going on my Euro trip. Holidayro. And... Uh, my brother had texted me and asked if I had... I didn't have the recording anymore. So my brother texted while I was filling up my tire and asked if I had emptied the water manifold. I texted him, no. And he said, going to freeze soon, you need to empty the manifold. And because I had had a, a flat tire and I was dirty and angry, especially about going to three different gas stations, trying to find a way to inflate it, having to go out of my way or whatever, I said, no, you know what? I just want to go home and get a shower and whatever else people do. And so I went home and I think the next day, or maybe it was even that day, my mom texted me and said that my brother had been worried about the pipes freezing and had I done whatever it was that he had asked me to do and I told her no and she said well you need to do that why didn't you do that and I said because there's no cell service at the cabin it wasn't until I was out of town that I got his message but she was right my brother was right what I ended up having to do was on that Sunday, I had to drive all the way back to the cabin. 
so that I could empty the water from the manifold so that if we had a deep freeze, you know, it, it got really cold really quickly, the pipes wouldn't burst. And I do remember taking my laptop with me so that I could sit down and edit for an hour or something like that when I was there so that it wasn't just like a completely wasted trip where I drove up there, I did this chore, and then I drove back. But I remember feeling stupid the whole time that I was driving up there because if I had just turned around and gone back to the cabin right then when I got the text from my brother, it would have saved me hours. You understand? Oh my gosh. Why, why am I telling you this story? Oh shoot. Whoops, outtake. Anyway, all that, it's food for thought. Maybe there's a story in there. Probably not. But I'm, I'll, I'll keep it in mind. Okay, back to the episode. Hee <laughs> hee.